Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. At the end of the week, time for another Reporters Roundtable on this uh, Friday, January 13. It's been another busy week in the nation's capital as Kevin McCarthy tried to settle into his new job as Speaker, and Republicans started the ritual of passing bills they knew were going nowhere in the U.S. Senate. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, who's been most critical of Donald Trump, for taking classified documents from the White House to Mar-a-Lago, got egg on his face this week when classified documents from his days as vice president were discovered at an office in Washington and in his garage in Wilmington, Delaware. Suddenly, both former president and current president are under investigation by a special counsel. But in a rare show of bipartisanship, Members of both parties seem to agree on two issues this week. One, that C-SPAN should be able to operate freely in covering the House. And two, that newly elected George Santos should resign. Well, here today to help us make some sense of it all, Sabrina Siddiqui, back from maternity leave, a White House reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Hello, Sabrina. Hi, Bill. How are you? Okay, long time. Welcome back. Long time. Glad to be back. Jessica Taylor joining us again from the Cook Political Report. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Bill. And Alan Smith again, uh, back with us from NBC News, political reporter for NBC News. Hello, Alan. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Really appreciate it. Okay, so Sabrina, let's start with you. Uh, You're about to uh, take off with the president on pool duty this weekend. Uh, there are clearly, um, they're not Mar-a-Lago documents, Biden documents, not the same. But clearly, Sabrina, this is not good for Joe Biden. Yes, I think what you've seen is a lot of frustration from the White House. You saw it um, at the podium on Thursday when White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre was fielding a litany of questions around how uh, these documents uh, ended up where they are uh, because, you know, there there have been uh, comparisons to the explosive story about the, the classified documents that were discovered at Mar-a-Lago. Now, the White House, I think, wants to emphasize, and, and, and you know, I think they are right that it's not the same um, as what we saw with former President Trump. Um, the White House certainly has been underscoring that, you know, first of all, there's a small number of documents that they've been uh, reported to the appropriate channels, um, you know, there's a process that's being followed as opposed to, you know, former President Trump, who you know, engaged in more of a, a battle to when it came to handing those documents over. Um, and also that they weren't reported, right? I, that was part of an FBI raid, whereas once these documents were located um, at the Penn Biden Center and at um, President Biden's Residences, they were they were reported to the Justice Department and the National Archives. Having said that, of course, they, there's what we don't have is a lot of information on um, 
how exactly these classified documents made their way, um, you know, to what was essentially uh, Biden's post vice presidential office and his residence. Um, and what exactly, you know, they're saying he was unaware, Biden himself was unaware of, of the documents and their presence. So I think, that, you know, there's a lot that it still isn't known about the how um, and also the timeline is still a bit of a question mark. But I, th- I do think the White House thinks this is very much a Washington story and they're, and they're eager to get it, get <laughs> to get moved past it. Well, well, Jessica, uh, Sabrina mentioned the uh, press briefing on Thursday. Here is a press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, um, really uh, frustrating reporters by uh, refusing to answer a lot of questions. Here she is. How can President Biden be trusted moving forward with America's secrets? Because his lawyers, his team did the right thing. But he had a closet with he, classified his information lawyers in did it the that right, they found. Again, again. Again, he did. He was surprised that the records were there. He spoke to this personally. He was surprised that the that the records were there, and when his lawyers found out and his team found out that they were there, uh, they turned it over to their archives. And now it's being reviewed by the Department of Justice. Uh, Jessica again leaves all of us asking, as Sabrina indicated too. Um, there are a lot of questions unanswered still. Uh, there are. And, you know, when we think back to just what was happening one week ago, all the turmoil in the House of Representatives and 15 votes to get a speaker, I mean, the tides have definitely turned this week for Biden. I think they were sort of hoping to ride that Republicans in disarray a little bit more. And then yeah. now you have this that has popped up and it, it definitely felt like it was snowballing. That okay, maybe if it's just at the you know Penn Center or in his personal offices, that's different than, you know, well, Trump's were at his Mar-a-Lago residence. Well, now they were in his now in Biden's garage with his Corvette and different things. <laughs> so it it raises questions, and I think there's a difference too because you know Trump had latitude to, and that's the argument that he he has made. Although it's questionable that you know, well, I'm the president, I can declassify anything. Well, the vice president doesn't have that power um, since it came from the the days in the Obama administration. However, I mean, there is a lot more nuance here. That the, the situations are different, and, and you know, intent could have been different, but we're still digging into that. But I think, you know, what, what gets lost it, it, when you're fighting these political battles, when everything has become so politicized, is nuance. So, you know, it's sort of, I, I think it robs Democrats of a of a point against Trump as, you know, he's trying to make this political comeback and one that's so, so far not made a lot of noise, but does this sort of rob them then of one of the biggest hits they had against him, which were these documents at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, and, you know, the point she's trying to make is that, you know, they volunteered when they discovered this, they did the right thing. They called them up. But, you know, it's very easy for Republicans. And they're already saying that, well, well, Biden did this, too. So it doesn't negate some of that. So I think it's just we still have a lot to figure out. But the fact that they both now have special prosecutors I mean, it's just it's not the storyline that the Biden administration wanted at all this week. Yeah, Alan, certainly uh, having a special counsel appointed to look into anything at all while you're president of the United States is not a good idea. But I want to ask you, so the Republicans were making a big point of the double standard, right? Yeah. I mean, they went after the AG, went after Donald Trump. 
but Joe Biden's being treated differently. Does the appointment of a special counsel for Biden kind of take that argument away from Republicans and in effect help the White House? You know, I think it does to an extent with uh, maybe some voters are trying to make that argument too. But I don't think you're going to really see Republicans change how they're arguing that this is a double standard. And I think you're you're already seeing, you know, as soon as the uh, special counsel, Robert Hur was appointed, you know, Republicans online were trying to tear him apart for being, you know, oh, the, the fix is in. Uh, this guy's never going to, you know, charge yeah. Joe Biden with anything, you know, when in the reality, you know, th- this is a guy who was... Uh, I, <laughs> I, I believe appointed as U.S. attorney by former President Trump. He was someone who was a protege yeah, of right. Christopher Ray, who was the FBI director appointed by President Trump, uh, even though he's quickly fallen out of favor with some figures on the right. Um, so it makes it harder for them to make that argument, but I don't think you're going to see it go away. And I personally find it very interesting that we're about to have a second presidential campaign uh, focused on document retention practices. <laughs> I know the American public is very excited, very, very excited for that coming up here in uh, 2024. Well, uh, so Sabrina, maybe we can give you this assignment today uh, while you're traveling while you're traveling with the president. I think the to me the most troubling question that the Biden administration hasn't answered yet is if these were discovered right before the midterm elections, right? And then the ones in Wilmington discovered later, they were reported right away, as you indicated, to the uh, National Archives, but they were not reported publicly until a couple of months later. And they leaked yes. out. They were not reported. They leaked it leaked out. Yeah. So, so why? That's, why? That's the... That's the question that I think a lot of reporters were really trying to press the White House on is why was this not disclosed sooner, uh, especially because of the timing of the discovery, as you point out, uh, right before the midterm elections, as well as um, the question of if it had not been reported on by the media, would this have become public at all? Um, Those are sort of two questions that uh, you saw the White House refuse to answer and, and quite frankly, go frustrated with. But at, at the end of the day, um, they, they've been pretty mum on the timeline. Um, you know, I, I think the other question mark was, of course, once the initial uh, batch of documents w- were found, um, you know, there, we, we just had a statement then uh, in, in, the, in the past 48 hours about the additional documents that were, that were found at um, both uh, President Biden's Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach residences. So, no, what, is Rehoboth. Also, what also not, has the process not, been? I'm sorry. For- not, I'm just not Rehoboth. There was nothing found at Rehoboth. Oh, sorry, sorry, apologies. Been. It was just Wilmington. Yeah. And and Wilmington. what sort of has the process been for searching? Um, you know, the by the the not just the president's office, previous offices, but but also his residences. What has the process been since that initial discovery uh, mm-hmm. for searching for additional materials? Um, you know, why didn't they immediately then search uh, other, why didn't they immediately search for potential other materials at the time of the initial discovery, as opposed to, of course, you know, this kind of slow roll of, of documents that we've, that we've learned about. But again, I, you know, I think one thing that I have heard and that I will say um, and and this some reporting that we're doing at the Wall Street Journal is is that um, what they've described is a ve- so based on conversations with former aides um, and and current aides to President Biden they've kind of described a very chaotic sequence of events as he was leaving office um, you know that he was on the road 
right until the very end, up until inauguration, pretty much the eve of inauguration, uh, there was a skeleton staff uh, that was essentially in Washington, uh, very haphazardly trying to pack up um, all of these materials. Um, and, and so I think some of what you might hear more of in, in the coming days is a little bit of a picture of uh, a lack of staff, lack of resources, and, and a pretty you know, pretty busy schedule, both domestic and foreign, uh, in the in Biden's final days as vice president that they say may have, uh, I guess, led to a, 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 a packing process that lacked coordination and lacked resources and staff. Right. Uh, so the last thing that the Biden administration uh, needed to deal with right now, but they are in the middle of it. Uh, and as we've indicated, a uh, big difference between the Trump document case and the Biden document case, but the Biden White House has been a little clumsy in the certainly in the way they've handled it so far. Let's switch now to uh, the House and Kevin McCarthy. We remember uh, when Liz Truss was uh, elected um, the Prime Minister of England. Uh, one of the newspapers, one of the tabloids, uh, took a picture of a head of lettuce in the in a market and said, well, "The question is, well, will she last longer than that a head of lettuce does on the shelf in the supermarket?" Uh, she failed to test. <laughs> the lettuce lasted longer than she did. Um, what do you think, Jessica? Is uh, Kevin McCarthy going to pass the lettuce test? <laughs> I, I think he passes the lettuce test. I mean, I, he's made a lot of concessions, and that's what we're trying to figure out to put people these you know people that opposed him on committees. Now, some of them have been seated on you know top committees like Energy and Commerce and Ways and Means and different things. So it, it does seem like there's been a shift, and they're willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And um, I think Republicans now that they are up and running, they've you know they're cre creating these new committees on China and weaponization, and uh, the federal government and everything. There's plenty I think to keep them occupied and making news. So I think he does get a, a period, but you know <laughs> I, I think he can outlast lettuce. But you know will he be speaker this time next year? I mean one of the biggest concessions he gave was you know the fact that any member can essentially ask, ask for a vote of no confidence or to recall him um, in a way, you know, to, to vacate the chair. And so, you know, that's what's caused problems for other speakers in the past, like Boehner and different things. And so the fact that that is there, I think, is always still hanging over his head. And that was, I think, a major concession that he had to make in order to get those votes. So he may he may uh, endure or survive, uh, probably will the next couple of years, Alan. But uh, no doubt, um, as Jessica indicates, it's going to be a rocky road, right? One because of the continued opposition inside of his caucus with the hardliners, uh, and two because it's unlikely the Senate's going to just jump onto anything the House passes, right? Absolutely. I mean. You, you you think about the motion to vacate and how yeah. really any one member could be holding McCarthy's feet to the fire at any moment. And you think, you know, how much is this actually dependent on how long George Santos can stay in the House Republican <laughs> caucus? Because if McCarthy loses George Santos or really any other member who was a solid vote for him and the motion to vacate is brought up, he might really struggle to get back to the number that he needs to remain speaker. Now, I think there are a lot of folks on the right, very prominent voices, 
who are urging people to keep rallying behind McCarthy. They think that he's doing a good job so far, that he's made concessions, that he's leading a number of initiatives that they're very interested in, and they don't want to get caught up in another speaker fight. But again, I mean, the numbers are just so slim. We, we saw in the last Congress, right? If a couple of people have to step down, they're untimely deaths, all sorts of things that can shrink the majority. I mean, he could be put right back to the fire again. And I think the, the, the frontline one right now is what happens with George Santos. And if he is not there for the long haul of this uh, congressional term, I mean, that could be the difference in whether or not McCarthy stays speaker. So I think that plays some role in how you're seeing him handle that situation uh, where he's kind of giving a light touch right now while you're seeing top New York Republicans calling for him to resign immediately. Uh, so I think that's kind of a layer to that story to pay attention to going forward. Well, uh, you get us to George Santos. Let's, uh, I was going to get there a little later, but let's jump there uh, right now. Uh, yesterday, boy, this was a moment. So Steve Bannon has his podcast. He was in court. <laughs> so who fills in for Steve Bannon on his podcast but Matt Gates, <laughs> the, the hardliner from Florida, and who is his guest on the <laughs> Steve Bannon podcast? But George Santos, who insists he's done nothing wrong. Look, I've, I've worked my entire life. I've lived an honest life. I've never been uh, accused, sued of, of any bad doing. So, you know, it's, it's my it's the equity of my hard working self. And I, I've invested inside of me. Like I said, it didn't come from Burisma. It didn't come from Ukraine, Russia, China, uh, unlike some folks that we all know that get money from those sources. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. That's a definition, Sabrina, of an honest life. I mean, define the word honest, Bill. <laughs> this, this is one of the most bizarre stories uh, I think we've seen in Washington in, in many years, which which says a lot, right? Because Ever. it's a constant circus around here. And um, I, I think that, look, the whole George... Santos saga, you know, I think it goes back to the conversation that we're having about um, just how tenuous uh, Speaker McCarthy's majority is, right? Because there's there's a number of Republicans who have now called on him to resign, and McCarthy is not among those Republicans because he knows that he has yeah. a very narrow majority. Um, you know, you you talk about. Steve Bannon's show being uh, guest hosted by Matt Gates, who's now having George Santos on to be able to come and defend himself. So you also see uh, the kind of allies that Santos is trying to pick up, the precise kind of people who are going to be a major thorn in McCarthy's I'm going to try and be careful of my language, but a major thorn for McCarthy <laughs> right. um, yeah. as, as he as he contends with uh, a right flank that you know makes the one that former Speaker John Boehner with and former you know Speaker Paul Ryan with um, look pale in comparison, frankly. Um, so so I, I think that that you know the real question now is um, how long can Santos hold on, and I, I really do think that. You know, if if he's if he's forced out, then McCarthy loses uh, an ally. There's no idea who would replace him, um, and I think that's part of why you saw uh, Santos vote for McCarthy on every one of those speakership ballots because he he knew um, that he really needs to uh, gain McCarthy's backing or at least his support in what's going to be a pretty challenging road ahead. 
but again, we've seen sort of where the Republican Party has, how the Republican Party has evolved and some of the types of characters who have managed to hold on against all odds, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Lauren Brobert. So I think Santos may just be another one of those who every now and then is in the news for all the wrong reasons. And if you're Speaker McCarthy, you look the other way and, and you just try and carry on and, and, and not let it flare up to the point where that becomes the story. So, Jessica, uh, by the way, uh, by my count, I checked this morning, there are six Republican members of Congress so far, six Republican members of Congress so far who have called on Santos to resign. But uh, Sabrina's right. Among the GOP leadership, there's been radio silence. That's not true of the GOP local leadership in Nassau County, New York, on Long Island. Here's the head of Nassau County's uh, Republican Party, Joseph Cairo, yesterday talking about um, one of the big lies of George Santos. He came from a poor background, but that he was able to be very successful. Told me, I remember specifically, I'm into sports a little bit, that he was a star on the Baruch volleyball team and that they won the league championship. <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, Jessica, what could you tell us about the difference of the uh, the New York Republicans versus the silence of the House leadership? I mean, you, you've got to give him props in a way. He doesn't just make up a story about like a false place he went to college that he, you know, was a star volleyball player there, too. So, I mean, this took some thought, um, you know, to come up with all of these stories. The New York Republicans and the National Republican Party have competing interests here. McCarthy needs his vote because the majority is so thin. If he resigns or is ousted or something, then that triggers a special election. And there's a very good chance the Democrats would win that seat because it's a very competitive seat and one that they expected to win in the uh, this year anyway. Um, Republicans in New York had a surprisingly good night. I think some of that was a, you know, they had the governor's race was closer than expected. And you know, the, the Lee Zeldin, the nominee there was, had, had represented this seat before. And so that helped Santos. And so they're worried in New York, Republicans are worried about holding on to as many seats, you know, they're locally and in Albany and different things as they can. So they're competing interests. And I think most, if not all of those me current members that have called for him to resign are from New York. So, it, you know, and here's where it gets him. You're, you're not going to be, there's no crime done. I mean, it's definitely not okay just as, you know, a person, you know, as personal contractor or something to say, you know, lie about where you went to college, lie about where you worked, lie about all of this stuff. But it's the campaign finance stuff. And there's been yep. questions filed now with the ethics committee of how did he get this money when he was barely making anything before how are these donors, uh, if, was this some type of slush fund that was funneling it to his campaign? And then there's a lot of questions about unitemized things that he has because anything over $200, you have to report um, with a receipt and different things to the FEC. And he had a lot of expenditures that were one ninety nine ninety nine. <laughs> Right. I mean, also, like, if you're going to do this, get creative, make one like 184 or something, but like just all of these things that came out to just one cent less. So that's where I think if he's going to get into trouble, that's where letting that play out, because that can take some time, that it's these potential and possibly very likely campaign finance violations that are illegal instead of just, you know, making up where you're from or your religious background. 
Not to mention what the uh, Brazilian prosecutors might have in mind for him. Yes, <laughs> right? that's true. That's still hanging over his, his head as well. Well, lots to talk about, and uh, we didn't even get to all the week, uh, news of the week yet. Uh, let's take another stab at it after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, and then we'll resume with our roundtable today. Alan Smith from NBC News, Jessica Taylor Cook, Political Report, Sabrina Siddiqui from The Wall Street Journal. Today's roundtable is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the big Teamsters union, the largest, in fact, and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions, over one and a half million members strong. Good men and women of the Teamsters union involved in every aspect, every level of uh, the American workforce from vegetable workers, vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis, and bakery workers in Maine. As they say, they cover the workforce from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers under the new Teamster president, Sean O'Brien. We salute the Teamsters here in the new year and thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back with today's roundtable here. Uh, it's Friday, uh, January 13, in our nation's capital. Uh, joining us on the roundtable, Alan Smith from NBC News, political reporter Jessica Taylor, the Cook Political Report, and Sabrina Siddiqui back on her job as White House reporter for Wall Street Journal. Um, so, Alan, um, we talked about a lot of losers last week in the big clown show on the House floor. Uh, it looks like most people, uh, Republicans and Democrats, are agree- agreeing that the big winner was C-SPAN, which was able to have its cameras roving all over the House during those five days of debate and caught some incredible video for all of us. Uh, Does this mean C-SPAN is going to continue to operate that freely? Sadly, no. (laughs) Uh, Now, the C-SPAN cameras were amazing during the speaker vote. And I know that they're also like that when you have a State of the Union address, other major events. But there had not been a speaker vote this contentious uh, in any of our lifetimes. So the fact that they were able to have cameras in there and you were catching close-ups of some of the interactions on the floor, you know, who was talking to who, you could see close enough to get the emotional, uh, the, the emotions that were coming off of members you, you could really make an attempt at reading lips if you were good at that. Um, you managed to see uh, <laughs> Congressman Rogers 
take uh, a charge at Matt Gates, and then him being restrained by another member. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. all stuff that you would just never see on the standard house cameras. And I know that now since that has happened, there is a push to have those cameras in there permanently. I know Matt Gates of all folks, uh, filed a resolution calling for the cameras to be there at all times. Uh, but in the house rules package that was passed, it was very clear that that's not part of the deal. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. And unfortunately for, for people like us, we're, we're not going to have those cameras in there, at least in the immediate future. Uh, uh, what are they afraid of, Jessica? <laughs> well, I, I think that it sort of it was airing your dirty laundry that they were used to all these fights on the house. I mean, it was better than any real housewives reunion. Um, uh, you know, and another thing is that, um, you know, a lot of times when these speeches are being given, there's nobody there. <laughs> so right. it, it sort of shows that, you know, the way that the house works, that we know it works here in Washington, that they don't want the image projected that, okay, this person speaking to an empty chamber or different things. But I mean, I think it was just a huge service. I've been a huge fan of C-SPAN for a long time. And you're right. I mean, it showed us different odd couples talking with like, like George Santos and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez one day. I mean, it, it, in a way, a human it because you're like okay these people may be completely polar opposites but like they're being cordial at times save for you know mike rogers wanting to lunge at matt gates but i have a feeling there's probably a lot of republicans that secretly want to <laughs> lunge at matt gates too so <laughs> well well uh, we have to say as uh, alan indicated matt gates has introduced a rule uh, uh, a, an amendment to the rules to allow the c-span cameras to roam freely and mark pocan on the other side one of the most progressive members of congress has introduced legislation to do. So you do have some solidarity between uh, the left and the right. But for the time being, Speaker McCarthy has says, no, we're going to go back to the fixed cameras. Um, now, there is some other news that we didn't get to, but we know that, Sabrina, you have to rush out to uh, join the presidential pool for the president's trip up to Wilmington later today. So uh, we don't want to let you go before catching your favorite story of the week, is, which is how we always round up the roundtable. Uh, Sabrina, we'll let you go first, and then you can run out the door. Well, you know, I've always brought you a dog story, but I'm changing yes. course. Oh. I'm changing course. It's not a new Sabrina. I'll be back next time with the dog story. But Prince Harry's book, Spare, oh, just got this week. I mean, you, your reaction, oh, God, is literally everyone's reaction because it's all over the news. Spare me. Spare I me, know, right? <laughs> I know, Bill, you've been eagerly counting down the days until <laughs> Harry's tell-all memoir. Um, but it's, you know, for me, it's like, it's just fascinating that this is all unfolding before the public. And the, my favorite part of the story, frankly, because obviously all the headlines and the drama, we, you know, we, we've seen we've seen them, frankly, not just in recent weeks ahead of the memoir, but ever since Harry and Meghan left the royal family. My favorite part of it all is actually just Prince Harry saying that he would still like to reconcile with his family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. while he's yeah. promoting a book where he's basically saying that his older brother throughout their entire life has been a competitive bully, while he's basically saying his he's criticizing his father's wife, his stepmother, as a villain who leaks to the press... Um, you know, and just airing all the dirty laundry for everyone to see. At the end of it all, he says, I hope we can find our way back to each other. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool, 
cool. I mean, look, I actually think what, what uh, Meghan Markle and Harry have done in terms of highlighting, um, you know, some of the institutional problems with the monarchy, with the British press, every, what they, the work they're trying to do around uh, anti-racism, uh, mis- highlighting misogyny. I think all of that is actually very valid and very important. So I don't want to minimize that piece of it because that actually is very important. But the the part that where they where Harry at least through his memoirs has gone full guns blazing, just kind of really trying to reveal who this family is and and how they operate with all these you know dirty little secrets. That part I think is is entertaining, but also that's where I'm a little skeptical that his family's going to want to uh, sit down have a meeting. And, and make nice. <laughs> uh, well, Sabrina, I must say, uh, you have, uh, I've been trying so far to keep the Bill Press pod free of any mention of Prince Harry, <laughs> but you have shattered no. the rule, and I Someone understand why. Someone had to because do it. Someone had to do it. <laughs> you're right. It is a big story. There's no, no doubt about it. And I can't believe how Americans are rushing out to buy this book. I happen to be not one of them. Uh, how about help? Uh, hey, Sabrina, thanks so much. Uh, have a good weekend, and thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again soon. All right. Well, uh, so much for Prince Harry. Uh, Jessica, unless you want to continue that. I, I will do, though I am also intrigued. I'm with Sabrina on this. Um, I watched the 60 Minutes interview and everything. But my story of the week is the fact that um, in and out um, the iconic California burger chain oh, is expanding. Boy. Um, and they're expanding to my home state of Tennessee. Um, so I had it now when I was first in California. And when I went and had it the first time, I'd been on a cross-country plane trip. I was starving. And I thought it was the best burger I'd ever had in my life. I went back again a couple of days later. And I was like, okay, this is an average burger. So mm. it's coming to Tennessee. They're opening up They're opening up a headquarters just outside of Nashville. Listen, I'm from East Tennessee, which is very different from Middle Tennessee, where Nashville is, where all of these chains are going. So while everyone else is freaking out over in and out that is coming to Tennessee, that's great and fine. But we have a hidden gem in East Tennessee, and I was just there for several weeks for the holidays, called Pals. And I think that should be the chain that Tennessee is championing instead of in and out <laughs> It is this small local chain only in Northeast Tennessee and Southwest Virginia. It is, if you Google, just Google Pals, P-A-L apostrophe S, it's a seafoam green building. You drive up to it, and it has like large hamburgers and hot dogs all over over it and um you someone takes your order like you literally talk to a person Mm. to order Mm -hmm. and then you drive around to the other side of the building and get it they have um i was addicted to their peachy tea when i was in high school that was what everybody got and their french fries which are called frenchy fries have this addictive seasoning on them so all right yeah, enough, so I'm, enough, enough. <laughs> I'm salivating just yeah. hearing you talk about it. Uh, well, uh, it is amazing the attention that the in and out story got this week. But I must say, as a uh, Californian, I know I'm supposed to be the champion of in and out, but I think Five Guys is a much better burger. So I'm, I'm going to go for, uh, for Five Guys. I don't care if in and out makes it all the way to the East Coast. I'm still a Five Guys person. Best burgers. <laughs> I think the best burgers, the freshest burgers, uh, the, and the best French fries you can get uh, anywhere. Uh, thank you, Jessica. Well, Alan, uh, <laughs> you don't have to take sides with Harry or with in and out burgers, but uh, what caught your attention this week? Or you can weigh in on your favorite burger if you want to. <laughs> I was going to say, Bill, I've got to agree with you on Five Guys. Super uh, high quality but- burger. And, yeah. you know, another one I'm going to throw in there was Whataburger, which I've had on a, a reporting trip to Texas. I think that one really lived up to all mm. of the hype. In-N-Out was 
was totally good. It was something I would have again. And you know what? If it uh, expands further out east than Tennessee, I'm sure I will have it again. Uh, but you know what? It's 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 good to see some of these regional chains getting a little bit bigger. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Meanwhile, for, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, to get two cents in on Prince Harry's book, uh, the peels I've seen from it not very exciting. Nothing has really made me click so far. So I'm thinking that the the top lines from this book are not that exciting. Now, as for the. My favorite story of the week, uh, Joe Bernstein had a story in the New York Times this was actually yesterday about uh, sort of an old folks uh, dance club, rock club that's happening at this bar every Friday in Ann Arbor, Michigan, near the University of Michigan's campus. Mm. Um, this was very exciting for me. I mean, it was a fun human interest story, but my fiance is a University of Michigan graduate. And this is one of the only times I've been able to tell her something happening in Ann Arbor that she had never heard about before. <laughs> so this was very exciting for me. And it was a fun story. Just a reminder that there are good things still happening in the world. Uh, that is good. Well, I guess I'm going to, for my favorite story, I'm going to stick to the food chain here, uh, but a, a little different level. Some of you may have seen um, the accomplishment this week. Uh, I guess we should all congratulate Eric Finkelstein of New York. Uh, he is uh, the latest to make a Guinness, get in the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, and Eric Finkelstein got his uh, world record for visiting 18 Michelin-starred restaurants in one day. 18 Michelin-starred restaurants in one day, all of them in New York City. That was on uh, last October 26. He started just before noon. Uh, he had made all these reservations, and he ended up at 9 o'clock, and he made all uh, 18 of them. You know, I think in my life I might have eaten at one or two Michelin-starred restaurants. I can't even remember. Max, and he got 18 uh, in one day. Um, so while we congratulate him, I also want to point out that Eric Finkelstein, this is not his first Guinness World Record uh, uh, achievement. In uh, last year, 2022, he won the Guin Guinness Book of World Records because he built the largest mosaic made out of tennis balls. <laughs> and in 2021, he uh, accomplished the longest table tennis serve of all time. So this is his third entry into the Guinness Book of World Records. I somehow think that Ari Finkelstein has too much time on his hands. <laughs> I don't know about that. But you know, I was going to say, I was going to say, Bill, uh, so I'm doing the math here. 18 Michelin starred restaurants between noon and 9 p.m. Did yeah. you really get a meal in each one? Or was this, uh, you know, something that was kind of set up for him? Uh, the cynic in me says it was all set up for him. But <laughs> I'll go along with that as well. All right. There we go. Our favorite stories and the big news of the week here on the Bill Press Roundtable. A big thank you to Sabrina Siddiqui from The Wall Street Journal. Jessica Taylor, Cook Political Report. Alan Smith, political reporter for NBC News. And thanks to all of you for joining us. Have a great weekend. And then uh, please come back and see us next Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We'll see you then.